start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I'm your other host, Susan Fox. And with us today is the author of Game of Shadows by Erica Lewis. Hello. And, and, and that's Erica Lewis. There Hello, Erica. Glad to have. Uh, glad you could be uh, on the show with us this evening. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, this is really cool. I mean, this is a uh, you have uh, you have unlike a lot of uh, uh, of the authors that we have on, you have writing credentials up one side and down the other before you well, ever well, before you ever got to your novel. Different mediums. Well, you know, I, I actually think that the novels probably started first, but they were really bad. Mm-hmm. And so most of them ended up in a drawer. And, uh, you know, writing for me was um, after I had spent um, almost 15 years in television mm-hmm. on the development and uh, on the development side and managing shows for networks and studios. And um, so I was sort of learning to write through other people's writing and then went back to school to actually, you know, while I was still working, which was fun for my family, um, <laughs> to learn a little <laughs> yeah. bit more about actually how to write. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, it's, it's been a, it's been a journey and I, I think there's probably two or two novels at least plus in the drawers, but, mm-hmm. uh, but they'll stay there for a while cause they're, they were, they were really bad. And then I, then I started on Game of Shadows right after I, I, um, I left G4. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so yeah, I had actually been writing, uh, started out writing comics. Oh, really? Um, oh, I see. Which, I, what kind of comics? I, I um, well, I have, uh, there was one that was running all the way through, um, almost a year of heavy metal magazine key. And actually the trade. Uh, okay, we're, 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 we're dropping July. out. Could you repeat that a bit? Uh, um, it was the 49th oh, yeah. key and it was, um, uh, in a serialized in Heavy Metal magazine? Yeah, the 49th Key is a graphic novel that Heavy Metal was running in the magazine um, in chapters. Mm-hmm. And then uh, The Trade comes out this July. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, and that one has some, some fun TV stuff that's moving on it, but um, can't really talk about too much of that right now. And then... Um, I write another comic series with my with a, a writing partner, uh, Jessica Chobot. Uh, you guys know Jess? Uh, not personally, uh, but we I've haven't heard met her. Name. But yeah, we yeah. do know who she is. So she, 
Jeff and I write um, Firebrand for Legendary Comics. That is actually on Webtoon on the app. And uh, it's uh, it's actually running now. It's through Chapter 11 already. And um, it's really cool because it's a three-woman team. We have uh, Claudia Aguirre, who's in uh, Mexico. She does all the artwork. And then Jess and I write it. And, um, and yeah, it's, that's a fun one. It's all about witches in Seattle. And the great thing is, is that Legendary did this deal so that everybody could see it, and it's free. So you can read it um, for free on the app. On Webtoon, which is cool. That's pretty. And, uh, that's yeah. pretty pretty wild. How does that? How do you monetize something that's free like that? You know, I'm not. I I don't know how Webtoon is owned by a company called Line, which is a big Korean company. Um, I think if I remember correctly, it's almost like a, an an eBay, Amazon, like mm-hmm. a huge conglomerate in Korea and South Korea, and they are a subscription based service there. So I, I they pay a monthly fee to have the comics. And in the U.S. right now, it's still free because mm-hmm. they just launched it here. For but now. there's millions of subscribers. So it's uh, uh, sort of like a, a carrot. Yeah, to get I think so. To I think it's going to be like YouTube where they'll launch sort of the red side of it. Like there'll be a uh-huh. premium side maybe at some point. But um, but it's a really interesting way to read comics because, you know, I love comicsology and I – I like to read stuff digitally sometimes, especially if I'm traveling. But on um, on the Webtoon app, it it scrolls upwards one panel at a time, so you can actually you, you're not actually in a whole page. You're in a a specific panel, and they use the black in between uh-huh. for special for sound effects and for like uh, you know uh, sort of tags on where you're going. And it, it's a it's it's not a medium I've written for before um and so it's it's been it's been an interesting adjustment in terms of um Mm -hmm. you know taking what we had done for an entire page where you're sort of setting up the visual and then sort of crafting it to one panel at a time sounds Um, like a storyboard rearranged a storyboard they are storyboards they're complete storyboards it's really cool um, but it's a great way to read because you can kind of really focus in on that one mm-hmm. panel. And, you, you know, I'm kind of blind. So trying to – when I yeah. work mm-hmm. with the bigger – with the whole page, I got to like really blow it up to get to the dialogue. So. It's, it's a different visual format though, definitely. I mean you don't – you lose the uh, you lose the ability to create uh, an impact or impression by the layout of the entire page. Well, yeah, that your big away. splash panels are out. But, but you know yeah. – on the other hand, it's something you could read on your phone rather than losing it in the um, making yeah, it smaller. Yeah. It's different. It's 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 got to be it's got to be different. Yeah. Yeah. Most people do read it on their phone, and um, some of the chapters actually, and and we're exploring doing this for for. Uh, the next cycle, the next season of it all, um, they add music. So you're, you're almost like, it's almost like a mini movie, you know, like it's scrolling up and, and you've got music behind it, uh, on some of the chapters. It's a, it's a cool format. So, um, let's see, you've worked on so much stuff and it's, it's mostly in, um, mostly in production then. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, you know, and Andromeda I mean, and Mutant I explain and... what a development executive does, but, um, you know, most of the responsibilities that I would have once the shows were picked up was creative continuity mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, working with networks and studios on what their, um, what their notes were and making sure they were implemented and staffing and talent mm-hmm. and sort of making sure everybody was happy and the shows were moving forward. 
Um, and then, you know, it was a lot about learning the format and being able to give notes on scripts. And that's sort of where my head got into, into, uh, working on scripts. So I, 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 when I first left D4, I also had written a pilot script that Legendary picked up, mm-hmm. um, and had done something like that. But, you know, television development is, and, and film development is like, you know, it's a big, it's a big, you roll on the dice and you just sort of wait and see what happens. And so many, um, so many p- other people are involved. You know, yeah. and and if you get w- within seventy percent of your original vision, it's a huge victory. <laughs> yeah, if you even get it picked up and made, I mean, you yeah. know, it's it's always when I used to always feel bad because we'd have, you know, thirty or forty projects moving forward, and one would go. You know, mm-hmm. it just it, it was it's just the nature of of what you're doing, um, and so for me, it's so much more fun to have a comic or, and you know, the novel is just such an amazing experience for me because it's like something that I can do on my own and I'm not waiting on everyone else to say, okay, let's go. It may be a smaller (laughs) sandbox, but by gosh, it's yours. (laughs) It's mine. (laughs) So let's talk about, um, game of shadows, game of shadows. And there's no game and there's no shadows. And, um, <laughs> there are some shadows. Well, there's some shadowy Ghost. figures, I suppose. <laughs> this would have been a great title for one of the Zelazny Amber series. Cause that was all about <laughs> shadows. Anyway, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. Um, we have been reading a lot of young, young adult novels lately, and a lot of them are a boy who is a lost prince or another otherwise important chosen one. What sets your book apart from from the crowd. What do oh, you think is, is... I hadn't been reading a lot of those. Um, <laughs> I always end up with the ones with the girls' protagonists and, the, you know, the, uh, the... the Can I can I say the word kick-ass? Kick Go ass ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I think the pendulum is swinging the other way because suddenly the boys are shut out of it again, so they're, yeah, they're feeding for them for a while. Yeah, I, you know, the the one thing that I, I have been really grateful for is that I'm working with tour and as a a typically adult um imprint and and working with my editor uh bob gleason and and um another editor there elaine becker they the uh, bob worked also he edited and and picked up ender's game so Mm -hmm. he kind of has this way of allowing even though the the ethan in my story is a 14 year old protagonist um um, I could build a world that didn't eliminate adults. I could build a world that was still uh, um, a big enough of a of a place for that anybody reading it, whether they're you know my age or whether they're young adults, literally reading it, um, would still feel like there was something in it for them. At least that's what I was striving for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always feel like when I'm reading. And I love YA, but I always feel like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times publishers, especially specifically in a children's marketplace, want to focus really only on the kids and they really don't want adults in the story and they want them to be the only thing moving forward. And, you know, I really wanted to be able to jump to, to all different kinds of point of views. And, and in particular, as the story progresses, uh, his parents' story is, is a, is a, it's almost like a whole, a separate thing that's gonna, you know, run tag team so that there's something in there for everybody. Um, at least that's what I was hoping. I had not heard about this, uh, this tendency of publishers to just focus on, uh, young adult stories that really where 
adults play such a, a, a minor role. Well, they're just in the background going, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, they're just not there. I mean, and I don't know that they always huh. intentionally do it, although I have had editors specifically say to me that, you know, like for middle grade, you know, oh, the parents should be dead or they should be gone or they should be in the background and, and the kid is, it's about their experience. You know, it's, it's a very, um, it, you know, I, I, and you know, they're, they're, they're stuck dealing with sales. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they take rules just like, just like we did in television development. There were lots of things that we wanted to move forward with and I, and got mixed by sales. Um, so, it, it's, it's, but, but with, it was fun because when I, when I originally started working on the story with Tor, it was written originally for middle grade, mm-hmm. way aged it up. And I also put it into close third person. It had been in first person and I really built the world out so much more. It was almost freeing, you know, it was like mm-hmm. this great experience to just be like, here, go for it. And, and the greatest thing was, there was a really funny moment where I had had some phrase that Ethan had used when he was talking about a bully, and um, I think I called him a butt muncher or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I and, remember that, yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, my ed- and Elaine said to me, she was like, why wouldn't you just call him an asshole? And I was like, can I say asshole? And she's like, yeah, you can say whatever you want. She did take all the F words out after uh-huh. she had said it was okay to put them in. But I, that was because we were targeting for a white crossover well, novel. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you know, you want something that uh, uh, you don't have to put a warning label on for your fourteen-year-old. Exactly, exactly. Although I have an eleven-year-old, and he says that plenty. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like well, it depends uh, on the kid and the part yeah, of the country, and yeah, exactly. you know, exactly. it's like sometimes, uh, uh, you know, if your if your kid doesn't know the word. What what the phrase means, it won't matter, and if he does, it's too late anyway. <laughs> That's a good point. You know? <laughs> Very so, good point. But let's not hear it from you first. <laughs> Maybe that's not no, a good reputation no. to have. I, th- I think YouTube covers all of those pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, we've, got, uh, we've got the triumvirate of characters. You know, uh, we've got... Uh, uh, the boy, the girl, and the yeah. friend. <laughs> Ethan, Lily, and um, Christian. Christian. Yes. And uh, you know they they make quite the trio. Christian times winds up off. a lot more important than you think he's going to. Yeah. He does. He and, does. And I have read up to the point where they're just they are just getting started gallivanting across the. Uh, uh, oh, you know, so you the haven't woods even like, and, settled in the forest yet? Yeah, they've they've uh, they've encountered that um, uh, the snake-headed jaguar cougar thing <laughs> that is yes. trying to entice Ethan into mating with it. The, the Gladysense. That's actually yes. something out of actual uh, Irish Celtic mythology. Oh, that's uh, cool. I although like that. I I added the part about. Her looking for a new husband. So. Yeah, I, I, I whole, yeah, I, I'm yeah. sure I didn't remember that part, but you know, it's, it's, it's it is Irish mythology. Color. Sure, you know, <laughs> it's it's um, and uh, stories evolve over time, uh, especially in oral traditions, and uh, <laughs> these, it, it these sounds are- like a perfectly perfectly acceptable addition <laughs> to this one. Uh, but that's where I am in the story, and um, and Susan has, of course, read the whole thing because she reads at warp nine point six. It's a superpower. What can yeah. I say? <laughs> and uh, yeah. 
So she has warned me that Christian plays a very powerful uh, role in all of this and that she can't tell me because it would be spoilers. Yes, it would. Because he was going, oh, well, he's just like exposition boy. And, you know, why is he even there? No, just just (laughs) keep reading. Just keep reading. And actually, he actually plays an even, you know, he takes, as the story goes on, even beyond this book, it takes a, it, it even gets a bigger uh, a bigger role. He's a, um, he becomes a, really, he's actually one of my favorite characters hmm. uh, as, as, as we go on. I don't know what that says about me, but uh, he's certainly, he's certainly a complex <laughs> character. I mean, and the, you haven't really, you haven't read any of the chapters probably then from Sonny Bean's perspective either. No, I haven't. Uh, yeah. Well, he's sort of, you know, the one thing for me as it, it, the, the book is fairly reflective of my personality mm-hmm. in that, um, it's, it's a fantasy story, but it's, uh, it's full of sarcastic and fun in the sense that I, I kind of write what I like to, to read. Um, mm-hmm. even though I love to read, uh, you know, thick, heavy prose fantasy as well. Uh, but I, I, I te- this is what I tend to write and enjoy. Um, so when I was delving into these, um, Irish old stories, um, you know, I did work with a, a, an amazing woman named Dara Hellman at, uh, at Berkeley, and she just left me for Cambridge. So now the time zone is going to be difficult. But, oh, um, no, no. <laughs> she was, she's a, a classic studies, a Celtic, uh, specialist. And, um, so as I was going through them, my goal was really to take these stories that I fell in love with when I was over in Ireland and not pretend to be an expert and not, mm-hmm. I, but to rather move them into a setting that I felt comfortable playing around with. And, and see, sort of use my twisted mind to see mm-hmm. how we could make them into how what would they would be like today, modern day. Like you'll you'll very shortly that this isn't really a spoiler, but very shortly you'll meet these what they call I guess you'd call them giants, but they're not in this story. I don't make them so big that they're you know you know twenty five or thirty feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, they're uh, the Fomorians and in in. In Irish mythology, they had at one point lived under the sea and then come up on land, and they were the ones that were battling all the time with the Tuatha de Dan and the, the gods and goddesses during the first um, historical cycle in Ireland. And so I wanted to make them extremely different than they would have been because they were considered barbarian and, and they were cyclops, and I'm sorry – I don't like Cyclops. I don't like to look at Cyclops. Something with one eye just kind of freaks me out in the middle of their head. Uh So I did not write them as Cyclops. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want that visual image in my head. So I, uh, but I did use things to, to harken back on their past. So their skin is tinted blue, um, Uh from being under the water and, um, and they live where they used to be barbaric and, and considered, um, not civilized in any way, like the Tuatha de Dana. They, they are actually very posh and very into big cities and beautiful landscapes and, and keeping very, th- every, everybody's got to be very politically correct and polite. And so they're sort of, I, I kind of wanted to twist things on, on what their, these races, these mythical races could be now since, um, you know, since it's fiction. <laughs> Since it's fiction. I mean, in, in, in probable fact in history, it was more or less the invasions of, of the, the islands of, of uh, Britain and, and Ireland and people from different parts of Europe coming there. But, uh, 
you know, the Fomori yep. were one one group, and the Sons of Mill were another. And, yep. And the little and, people were just short. Um, <laughs> they weren't. They weren't exactly. tiny pixies. People were just very short, comparatively speaking. Yeah. So um, you mentioned earlier that you had gone from a first-person perspective to a third-person, and uh, yeah. I, I was thinking that. Uh, you could have written it from a uh, first-person perspective from the points of view of uh, of the various characters and done it that way. Why did you... Mm, it's been done, though. I mean, well, it, that's, everything's that's not been what she done. wanted to do. Everything's I was been try, done. You know, I was, tried to play around with that, but the me? hardest thing was when, when I go back to reread mm-hmm. um, after a few chapters of that, I, I, I get a little jarred myself from whose voice am I in? And I didn't mm-hmm. want to have to put up you know, at the top of the chapter, who's speaking? Mm-hmm. Um, it felt like the third person. It was it was almost like a dance you could play. I think um, I actually think J.K. Rowling's and Harry Potter does a really good job of that, um, especially in the in the later books where she's going in and out of you know um, Voldemort. Every once in a while, you'll get a Voldemort chapter or something mm-hmm. that's happened inside of Harry, just Harry and his and his friends and sort of drop into a storyline in a chapter mm-hmm. that was suddenly what was happening with Voldemort's side and with the bad guy's side. Um, and it didn't feel like you were taken out of the story or suddenly trying to look at it from somebody else's perspective. The, the Game of Shadows is more, it's a little closer third person where mm-hmm. we, when we get into Lily's space, we're into Lily's emotions and what she's, you know, into her head a bit um, or into, into Sonny Beans and, um, mm-hmm. and into the different, the different, uh, and Bartlett, who's one of my favorite characters. Um, so, you know, it's, it's kind of fun to write from their perspective in close third for me anyway. I, um, I, I just enjoyed it more. So it was better. It was easier for me. And Bean is a, Bean is a very different character. You know, the one thing that, um, we don't get a, as much of his storyline as I would like in this one because he's, he's very, it's very, he's still going to be a mystery for until we get to the, to the next book. But it, um, his agenda is clear. Um, but, but, but who he is, but he, he's, if you, if you kind of visualize a, um, a villainous Tony Stark, that, that's what you get. Sort of like, a guy, a, a, a guy that every woman would want to go on a date with, you know, you probably would die during the course of the date and, and you, well, 99.9% chance, but you wouldn't care because you'd still want to go out on a date with him. He's charismatic and he's kind of got this way about him. And so for me, um, I, I, it's fun writing from that perspective. Nobody wants to go out with Voldemort. No, ew. <laughs> Except for Bellatrix. Did you notice there was a little thing going on between Voldemort and Bellatrix? You know, yeah. until you pointed that out. <laughs> it, there was. Now they that you mention it. Yeah, they had a thing, I think. So um, there is a fair amount of magic and uh, uh it's magic, and it's element. right off the coast here. I tell you, the, you know, this would uh, really tie in to uh, being being made into a television series if it's right off the coast of California. Yeah, yeah well, like, exactly where, how would that's they, where Ethan t- takes how, off, yeah. So how would they, it, how would they, the shipping lanes not catch this hidden continent? Magic. The, an uncharted continent. Magic. It, it's okay. magically hidden by Manon, Manon McLear, uh, the Irish God of the Sea. So when he moved 
the mythical races and magical druids off of Ireland or Aaron, mm-hmm. as they called it back then. Um, he moved them to a continent and magically hid it. But each one of the different realms has uh, one particular way to get back out of this magical shield, so to speak. Um, so they have ways of getting back uh, into into the regular world once they take their their shadow walker oath. It's it's another dimension, honey. Yeah, I love the uh, uh, speaking on that. Excuse me a moment. <coughs> oh boy, sorting thirty minutes. Uh, uh, thirty oh, minute cold, mark. Okay. Um, speak. Uh, yeah, thinking on that. Thank you, sweet. Uh, thinking on that, uh, I was, one of the parts that I, I liked that I thought was, that was really vivid was when Ethan, uh, first discovers that map of the, uh, lost continent of Tara and he, uh, runs his fingers over the different parts and gets yeah. different sensations doing that. I thought that was, that was brilliant. That was very, a very, uh, it was that, evocative. Yeah, it was, it was evocative. Was Thank written. you. That was the word I was looking for. I could see yeah. that. Yeah, it was cool. I um, I loved that idea of maps actually feeling like you could find out more about a land before you got there. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially if something was really awful that happened when he touched it, like when he touched Primlin. So there's mm-hmm. there's. I like that he could, you could sense emotions from it. So for me, I kept thinking to myself, how cool would it be if you could take a map of Europe because there's so many different cultures and literally like touch them and figure out what was happening in each place before you got there to know that, you know, you really want to go to the party town. Who's having a good time right now? <laughs> yeah. You need a very big map. A really big map. The size of a room. Yeah, you, you know, and you touch a, a map of Madrid, and your fingers get poked with the horns, you know, from the running of the bulls, and the, you know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You touch a, uh, Scotland, and no matter what you do, your finger comes off frozen and wet and <laughs> sore from wind being blown on it, and mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I, I just I love that part of it, and and, and that's very early on in the book as well. Uh, uh, when Ethan is first, uh, uh, first taken from his familiar environment and thrust into a new one. Uh, yeah, they didn't yeah. call the Ghostbusters, did they? No, they didn't. And it was his fault. I, well, it wasn't his fault. I mean, you know, the, the, this is the thing. And, and writing through a 14 year old's perspective, um, you know, boys at that age are, are exactly what they are. And they're, they're, uh, at least for me, cause I'm a bit sarcastic. Ethan is a bit sarcastic and funny. Mm-hmm. And, and so for him, you know, where he feels like his life has been one thing when he suddenly finds out it, it's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's on a totally different, um, thing because when your parents don't tell you everything, when, when the one person that you trust to tell you the truth in the whole world hasn't told you the truth and the, the truth isn't, isn't necessarily in his case isn't necessarily a good thing, but right, it's the right. thing that he could have probably swallowed a lot easier had he known about it the whole time from his perspective. He really got sucker punched, didn't he? I mean, he I did. guess going. I was reading the initial chapters and I was thinking, this kid is getting the short end of the stick here. He is getting sucker punched at every turn. 
Well, don't yes, tell absolutely. Don't everything. tell the kid that his father is dead when he's not. I'm sorry, right. just don't. Do <laughs> exactly. And exactly. I've known people who've had that in real life and then wound up meeting their fathers, and and it's just that bad. <laughs> and it's awkward, and it's you know, and the thing the thing that's interesting to me is is well, I I like I love stories that. And, and so for me, uh, you know, I, I love to read like, you know, Sherilyn Kenyon and, and some mm-hmm. of her series and Chronicles of Nick and what she's done with Dark Hunter and the way that you take real life emotions and things that have happened in the world and stick them into fantasy settings. So, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the story of, of Ethan's could be anybody's story. An immigrant mother's run away when she's pregnant. She comes to the U.S. She has the baby here. She's hiding from whatever darkness is happening around mm-hmm. her. And suddenly everything she said, you know, she said it for a reason. And, and Katrina has her reasons and she thinks her reasons are right. Just like Ethan thinks that she's wrong. <laughs> so. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. and it's all about, it's all about perspective and how much information mm. you have and when you have it. And how much did they know and when did they know it? And, mm-hmm. uh, I can, I can start to see from that, you know, why you called the book Game of Shadows, uh, because that dynamic it, it plays throughout the book. Yeah. And for him to the, the, the curses he likes to call it of seeing ghosts, the shadows that haunt him all the time, it, it's, it's, it's it's a gift that that takes the gift of Ryark, which is is what it's it's actually called, is is much more than in just seeing ghosts, and and it's explained in this in this book, and then um, even broadened out as in terms of its uh, if you want to call it a power or gift or ability. He he um, the 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 idea is more being tied to 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 the life force that exists mm-hmm. in the universe. It's not just seeing ghosts, but he doesn't understand that. So for him, he feels like he's being accosted on all sides, including by the dead world, <laughs> the world of the mm-hmm. dead that seems to, you know, harass him at the worst possible moment. And, and in what I actually, the, what, what actually, and, and I think Christian is the one who brings this up to him and explains it. The, the idea of being able to go back you know, if our Congress could go back and talk to our founding fathers and stop <laughs> arguments about what it is they really meant by something they said, how great would it be if you could actually have that conversation? Because everybody quotes it all the time and everybody talks about it all the time. So for, for in Landover, for Ethan, that the ability should be a gift, an ability to be able to go back and talk to the previous uh, rulers of his own land and find out what happened when they tried different things and did different things and what's the history of different reasons why his people are behaving a certain way and it should be a gift. Um, but he doesn't see it that way because he doesn't understand any of that. He's 14 yet. and he has not had the education in governance of, and, and no background in the, the land he is expected to rule. Right. Of course he doesn't have the right questions. No, no. And at the moment, he doesn't really care. I mean, he tries to care, but he, he, you know, when you don't know a people, <laughs> you don't know this land, you don't know what you're being dropped into. His main goal is to, to get his mother back and, and to, st- because he, setting aside, he just feels responsible. It's the only person he's ever been in his life. You know, it's always just mm-hmm. been the two of them. And so regardless of, 
of what she's done in terms of lying to him, he, he can't stand the thought of, of something horrible happening to her. And so there's this constant battle between, and I love, you know, we, we authors, we always go in and read the reviews and it makes me laugh sometimes because there'll be someone who obviously has a kid the same age as Ethan. Who's like, Oh my God, I just want to hit this kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I it. There are times yeah. that I wanted to hit yep. him too, but he's, he, in his mind and in his position, I, he was right. He, he, this is the thing he needed to do regardless of, of the consequences of what else was going on. And there wasn't a whole lot of way to persuade him when he didn't really understand, you know, what was, what was going on and to sit down and, and have him suddenly just take on this role from the moment he got there and be a very adult about it wouldn't to me be very realistic. It's just, yeah, I don't think that's, that that's oh, I, I absolutely agree with you there. Uh, and just being a father myself and watching my own son go through this stuff on a smaller scale. I mean, it's, it, this stuff is tough enough. Yeah. Without, without having your entire world, uh, uh, turned upside down, inside out painted electric blue and set on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, there's the other things about it to me that were really fun is, you know, it's obviously a different world. And although it, it it still feels medieval, there are things about it that are obviously, you know, it has magic. They don't, they don't, they don't need, you know, big weapons. They have other ways of fighting. And, and so, but it still feels very medieval. And so for him, he doesn't know the first thing about a medieval world. I mean, give him a cell phone and, and something like that. And, you know, uh, I, I, it's hard for him with weapons in the sense that, um, which was important for me because after Sandy Hook and after a lot of the violence that's been going on in their world, mm-hmm. I felt strongly about the idea that if, if someone could, regardless of their age, could, could see the, the, what happens with death and actually, understand that permanent great divide between the people you love who are in the land of the living and the people who are dead, I think it would be very difficult, setting aside the fact that he's only 14, but it'd be difficult to to take somebody's life. And so for yeah. him, I, you know, it, it even even though the world around him is is deadly and dangerous, so for him, I, I, I just, you know, never felt like he was in a position to, A, be good at that yet and really be a fighter because he'd never trained in any of that. But at the same time, the the idea of taking a a sword and stabbing it through someone's chest, that, that that's not something he's probably ready to do. You know, he can barely sit a horse. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well he can't. I mean, who could, it's just, it's like, you know, horses. Some of that is my own experience. I love horses now, but man, I was terrified of them and, and I'd been thrown off and, um, more out of fear, I think is, is they can literally smell fear. I swear. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, and they can also s- smell when they think you, they've got it, uh, when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, they can tell, oh, yeah. they can tell. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah, my, oh. my mom told me stories about the horse on her farm and what a smart ass he was <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, how much trouble he caused. Uh-huh. They're smart and they're, you know, like I used to always say, give me the old, the old tall ones because they never like to go very fast anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but then again, um, once, once he starts getting a little bit more comfortable and I, I think when you're, when you're thrown into that situation, it's kind of like the first time you drive a car, you know, you're uh-huh. slamming on the brakes and you're, you're slamming on the gas and then you're scaring yourself. So you're slamming back on the brake again. And, and it's a very nerve wracking thing to have this thing suddenly react to, to what you're doing. And, and with a horse, it has its own mind anyway, and it's going to, it's going to do what it's going to do, uh, until you say no. And so, you know, if you're, if you're stuck on it for, you know, two weeks and, you know, nonstop, I think eventually you sort of fall into the flow of it. Um, but really, I, 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 I always felt very sorry for Ethan because that would be, that would be tragic <laughs> for me personally. <laughs> uh, so and God, just being so sore. I remember oh, yeah. being so sore yeah. after a day, you know. Yeah, I, I remember the description of him getting off the horse and not being able to bend his legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Every, ev- mean- everybody was fine but him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see, this is from, this is from Tor Books. That's, that's pretty good. Getting your first book out, uh, through Tor Books. That's really something. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, they, they're wonderful there. I, um, I've just had the, the best experience all around. Um, who, I'm who? in, I've been going on tour. Uh-huh. It, uh, started, the book came out February 28th, and so I literally actually just flew back from Portland today. So uh-huh. I've been uh, traveling around a bit, and it's been fun. So they assigned you an editor, I take it, and and who do? You... Yeah, my oh, I have an editor, and then I have a publicist there, uh-huh. and then you know, there's like a little team, uh-huh. uh, sort of rah rah game of shadows that gets you out there, <laughs> and it's been fun. It's been fun. I went to the Tucson Book Festival and a bunch of different bookstores, mm-hmm. Mysterious Galaxy, Poison Pen in Scottsdale. Mm-hmm. Um, I was at Powell's in Portland mm-hmm. at, the, at the Cedar Hill Crossing location, which was mm-hmm. really fun. Um, yeah, I'd, so it's I'd never enough. leave Powell's. <laughs> if they let me in, I'd never leave. Well, the worst part is, is I walked in the store and they said to me, you know, by the way, visiting authors get 20% off. I was like, oh, don't tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Golly, this is, you know, I'm supposed to be here selling books, making money, not losing all of it. (laughs) But I came out with, I don't know, a whole bag full of books, but hey, you know. It's just the best store ever. I love that store. It's so much fun to get lost in there. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to Erica Lewis, author of Game of Shadows, a young adult book from Tor Books. Uh, And you can, of course, get it wherever fine books are sold. And um, let's see. there You have a graphic novel coming out this summer, 49th Key. Yeah, July. It's uh, coming out on preview night uh, at San Diego Comic Con. So uh-huh. uh, it'll probably. I think it hits the. I'd have to check with um, the the publisher, but it, I'm pretty sure it'll hit the bookstores the same day because it'll be the trade, uh-huh. the full trade. But uh, I'll be down at San Diego with it, um, which will be fun. And um, yeah, so that's the next thing coming. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us for this evening's episode of The Event Horizon. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you both. You are listening to episode 165 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for March 25th, 2017. 
Yes, this is the real episode 165. Last week's episode was misnumbered. Our guest this afternoon has been Erica Lewis, author of the fantasy young adult novel Game of Shadows from Tor Books. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This episode will air again at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow afternoon, that's Sunday, and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at KryptonRadio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported geek culture radio, and though some of our money does come from advertising, most of it comes from avid listeners just like you. If you enjoy listening to Krypton Radio, please help us out so that we can stay on the air. Visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and contribute whatever you can. Even $5 a month makes an enormous difference because it all adds up. Single drops of water can add up to a tidal wave, and that can keep your favorite radio station and shows like this one on the air and thriving. If you are an artist, writer, actor, or other creator, and you would like to appear as a guest on the Event Horizon, please contact our production manager, Cat Carter, at catcarter at kryptonradio.com. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Kristen B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction legend Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2017 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.